Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host, and this is a very special episode. I've been the host of the Unstoppable Podcast for almost a year now. I started in January of 2022, and it's now December. So I wanted to celebrate with a special episode, 22 things I've learned on the Unstoppable Podcast in 2022. I've gotten the opportunity to talk to creators, investors, entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, product managers. I mean, really the whole gamut of people who are involved in Web3 and NFTs and crypto and and building the future of the internet. And so I wanted to reflect on that and share with you 22 lessons learned. And a lot of these are conceptual, more talking about the concepts of Web3 from like a standpoint of identity, ownership, user experience, you know, key themes that I try to hit on every single week in the in the episodes and interviews. Without further ado, let's dive into the 22 lessons learned. And I hope that some of these are new for you. Maybe some of these double down on concepts you've also learned throughout the year. And please, if you enjoy them, let me know on Twitter. Let me know online. I'd love to know what you learned on the Unstoppable Podcast, because that's really the goal for me, is to help educate and inform you so you can be a better collector, investor, and just passionate member of the Web3 community. Let's do it. Lesson one, human readable names are needed. And this comes from episode 117 with Matt Gould. Now, this was my very first episode as the host of the Unstoppable Podcast, and it was also the first time I got to talk with Matt, the CEO of Unstoppable Domains. Now, we jumped right into the identity deep end, and I left with conviction that NFT domains are one of Web3's most important use cases. Now, I believe everyone will be using crypto one day, and that means everyone will have wallets and public addresses with which they need to use to send and receive anything from tokens to NFTs. Now, sending crypto to a wallet address, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my wallet address out here just to prove how ridiculous wallet addresses are. Sending crypto to 0xB1326F4AEC2F6B64DFE2D1E83B4D9728C28889E, that's crazy. I mean, that is absolutely not a way to communicate. Imagine me trying to actually say that to someone. It's impossible. And so if that's the starting point, we've already lost the battle with crypto skeptics. Now, I was reading that address off the screen, and I'm pretty sure I might have even read that wrong. And that implies that you need to copy and paste your wallet addresses when you're sharing with other people. And that's no better of a solution. So sending crypto to joshgordon.crypto or josh.nft is way easier, and it reduces the friction of transacting. In the Web2 era, before domains gained traction and people were referencing websites by their IP addresses, and I bet 99 people out of 100, maybe even 100 out of 100, couldn't tell you the IP address of even one website. So everyone will convert to something easier to share with others, 
just as we did 20 years ago. Human-readable names, Web3 domains are the future for crypto. Lesson number two, indirection opens up a multi-chain world. This is from episode 117 as well with Matt Gould. I hadn't heard of this technical word before talking about it on the podcast. Indirection means that you can attach multiple crypto addresses across different networks and from many different wallets to one Web3 domain. Now, the flexibility allows you to have one place for other people to send all their payments to, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, whatever the coin of the day is, can all go to yourname.cryptoyourname.nft. One of the downsides to .eth domains, to me, is their focus on the Ethereum blockchain. Yes, Ethereum was the dominant blockchain of the last bull run, and we've seen different blockchains emerge every cycle. And it's become apparent that for Web3 domains to be a, a real digital identifier, they need to be extendable to whatever blockchain you want to use and not just one. So being able to use a human-readable name for wallet addresses across chains while being able to allow for the removal of friction of knowing which chain we're on, what the right public address is that we want to use based on you know the chain or the token we're sending, that's going to reduce friction of simply using Web3 and will allow Web3 to gain more adoption. So I think that indirection and multi-chain world is a very important thing that I learned on the podcast. Lesson number three, Digital identity should be persistent and portable. This is also from episode 117 with Matt Gould. This was an awesome episode. NFT domains make your identity functional across every Web3-enabled app. And we have many different Web2 usernames because pre-blockchain, there was no publicly accessible and secure database to do an identity lookup. So every website you log into is storing your login and associated information in their own personal private database. That means your credentials on LinkedIn can't give you access to a company website, or your Reddit karma can't be used to get a discount around the product you've shared information on in a subreddit or thread. And your Instagram followers can't see the videos you uploaded to YouTube. Now, login with email or Facebook is not the future. We guard our reputation in real life so closely, but online, We can't track our reputation across the thousands of likes, comments, posts, or other actions we make on the internet. Building your online reputation, carrying your social graph across the web, and owning it, that's the future. Traditionally, we opt into our reputation. You know, with LinkedIn, resumes, bios, we write these without verification. But in Web3, your reputation is being written with every action you take on chain and is accessible to everyone. Now, Web3 domains fix this, and I'm excited to see persistent, portable identity continue to mature in 2023. Lesson number four, data should be permissioned, not taken. And this is also from episode 117 with Matt Gould. Once we have digital property rights, we'll want to buy, sell, and lease them. Having agency of your data allows you to monetize it, but this requires permissioning. You'll soon permission your data to apps and in return get improved customer experiences, personalized promotions, and at Unstoppable, we call these scopes. With certain integrations, when you log in with your Web3 domain, you can get asked by the application to permission certain data. 
And it can be as simple as an app asking you to share your email, but it could also be sharing maybe your KYC data or something else like shipping address. And this is powerful because when you log in with your wallet, there's no ability for communication between the app and the wallet address. But Web3 domains change this. They, they provide the, the communication layer. And we're just seeing the start of permissioning and what's possible with user-owned data. And that is all made possible through Web3 domains. And I think that permissioning of data, especially as people start taking more control and, and more interest in knowing what's kept private when they're searching the internet, this is going to be a big change in just how we interact online. Lesson five, smart contracts allow anyone to write rules around value transfer. This is from episode 118 with Maria Shen. Now, this episode helped me wrap my head around why smart contracts are an important evolution in code. Every website you go to executes code and functions when you click buttons and add items to a shopping cart or even post on social media. Smart contracts take these executions and instead of them being controlled by an internal server, they're on the blockchain. So instead of putting your trust in a single company to stay out of bankruptcy or handle your transaction, you just need to trust the code, which is verifiable to anyone. And now, look, how accessible is this to verify to a non-technical person? That's another discussion. But on top of that, these transactions can be executed without any human input. And if a certain event happens, then a transaction is initiated. That means we can remove third-party intermediaries from so many processes that are ongoing on the internet. And what's interesting to me is that we can use the code to transfer anything of value, which could be money, art, data, access. So NFTs allow us to transfer value on the internet, and we're just seeing the beginning of this. Lesson number six, composability benefits the consumer. This comes from episode 118 with Maria Shen. Composability is a really interesting concept that I learned a lot about on this episode. It means that software only needs to be written once and can be reused by anyone building internet applications. It's talked about a lot, and to be honest, I don't think we've really seen composability play out like a lot of crypto builders and thought leaders envisioned for this past year. But that doesn't mean it won't, and I think the value behind it is still as strong as ever. One of the examples I go back to when thinking about composability is within video games. So let's take an example. In game one, you're able to acquire a shield to defend yourself from attacks. And maybe you get the shield from completing a mission. Maybe you defeat another player in battle. Maybe you buy it through in-game tokens. Doesn't matter. If that shield is owned by you in the form of an NFT and the game assets are composable in other games, it means you can go play game number two, a completely different game, and still use the same digital asset, that same shield. It carried over to a new game. And maybe that shield has different uses or levels of protection. The asset itself is transferable wherever you go. And other game devs can build experiences on top of those assets you already have versus ones that only live within a custom-built environment. So this is exciting because third parties can create new products, experiences, services, to benefit NFT holders all without coordination. No one has to ask for permission to build on top of an NFT asset. You simply can. And this might be the most valuable you know, function of composability. It's like owning a car 
that is stuck on a road that goes in a loop with no exits versus a car that is has a fully built out infrastructure and there's tons of construction workers building more highways and exits every single day. The car has more value on that road than it does on a, a single looped track. And besides gaming, NFT memberships can be highly leveraged in exciting ways. So think about Equinox as the gym. You know, people who go there are usually considered wealthy. They like luxury experiences. They're healthy, etc. So usually near an Equinox, you can find maybe a smoothie or a juice shop. Well, if you own an NFT membership to something, we'll likely see complimentary experiences built to benefit those holders and directly tap into that customer base. So for example, if you hold a Board Ape Yacht Club membership token, you know, you, you hold an ape or a mutant, we might see a clothing store built that only Board Ape Yacht Club members can access, you know, stuff like that, because we know Bayak people like streetwear. So we might see other streetwear companies pop up that benefit those holders. Lesson seven, music NFTs can change the music business, but that might take a while. This from episode 119 with Dwight Torculus. So the music industry has evolved over time from vinyl to CDs to streaming, and now the next wave of music is here with NFTs. Artists rely on many revenue streams to create lasting careers. And while streaming has opened up opportunities for artists to be heard, it doesn't pay them substantial wages. On top of that, streaming services offer very minimal data to the fans and communities of people that enjoy their work. So music NFTs flip the script. They allow an artist to sell limited or open edition NFTs for higher prices to less people and earn a living wage. So you don't need, you know, a million streams, a million streams on Spotify, you an artist might get about a million dollars. But getting a million streams is tough. So you know, NFTs flip that script and maybe you don't need a million streams. Maybe you can sell 10 NFTs for $400 each. So higher prices, less people, and you can still earn a living wage. And by owning your smart contract, you get access to data like who your collectors are, what else they collect, and that can even inform a partnership or collaboration strategies. And you might even be able to know the average price that collectors of certain smart contracts pay for NFTs, which can inform your pricing strategy. So I see a world where Artists will make money from streaming, merch, touring, tickets, vinyl, and even NFTs. This adds a new revenue stream that creatives can capture. In 2022, we saw artists start to really experiment with this. We saw marketplaces pop up for selling music-specific NFTs. And in 2023, I think we'll continue to see that push. Even apps like Showtime are doing really interesting things where you get an NFT for pre-saving a song on Spotify. So we'll continue to see these traditional Web2 streaming services get integrated through services like that and allow artists to offer NFTs through those services as well. Lesson number eight, asset ownership is a foundational pillar of democracy. This is from episode 122 from Michael Lazaro. Asset ownership is a foundational pillar of democracy private property and how we protect our land and our assets are core parts of the U.S. Constitution. We create laws to protect land ownership, business ownership, home ownership. And as the internet evolves, now we need to consider digital ownership. Society 
is open to the concept of intellectual property, yet there's so much resistance to the idea of digital property. And I think that's kind of funny. What crypto gives us is scarcity on the internet. And it's really one of the major things that Bitcoin showed us. And NFTs just make it possible to own something that's digital, and that's not necessarily a financial token. So you can create NFTs, sell them, authenticate them, destroy them. And for democracy to really flourish in the internet age, we need to embrace the digital economy, whether it's a collectible, an avatar, digital clothes, a membership club, a title to a home or a car, a certificate of education. These items are property and not only can or will, but they are owned on the internet now. And will be very interesting to see regulation around this improve and really people's mindsets around assets and, and what that could be in a digital form. Lesson number nine, decentralization is not as important as I once thought. This is from episode 124 with Matt Gould. Okay, I want to hit you with a trivia question. How many times is decentralization mentioned in the Bitcoin white paper? Take a guess. The answer is zero, not once. Why do you think that is? It's because security is what matters. Decentralization of the nodes is only one component of a complex system. So what is a decentralized system? It's all about where the decisions are made. So centralized systems make decisions at the core. Decentralized systems make decisions across the network with no single decision maker. The most important factor behind decentralization is security. Each node on the blockchain acts as a check in the broader system, ensuring data accuracy. And for a money system like Bitcoin, it's important to have high security. The downside, though, is that decentralization is not good for users. When you have a decentralized system and something goes wrong, there's no central authority to provide support. Like, who can I ask for a return, exchange, refund, product support? Usually, that's no one. Right now, decentralization is bad on the user level, but good on the systems level. And furthermore, decentralized systems don't lead to equal distributions of power. So let's take this as an example. Think about mining. Large mining groups can actually control hash power. DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, can have large token holders who can determine the outcome in votes if they own the majority of the tokens. And we saw this in a bunch of examples in 2022. Even uh, the ENS DAO, we saw major, major voting needed to happen for specific events. And either sometimes we saw a major token holder was able to vote for matters that involve themselves. And in other times, we saw major token holders not even participate in the vote, which really skewed the outcomes. Incentives can also change along the decentralization spectrum. Decentralization incentivizes the individual, but centralization incentivizes the representative. And sometimes a representative is who you want in charge. So let's recap decentralization and centralization here. Decentralization is good for security, protects minority voices, provides checks and balances, creates efficiency at the local level, it lowers dependency costs in the system, and gives a voice to people closest to the problem. Centralization, on the other hand, benefits are lower costs, protects group rights, provides user support, and helps decisions be made faster and creates efficiency at the macro level.
Lesson number 10, the metaverse is a moment in time. This is from episode 125 with Sean Purry. What is the metaverse? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. It was definitely one of the buzzwords of 2022, and Sean described it in a really interesting way. The metaverse is a moment in time. Communication, education, media, and relationships are digital. Crypto brings your assets to the digital world. And the metaverse is the shift over time where people care more about our digital lives than our physical lives. So Sean thinks that if we stay on this trajectory we're on for the next 10, 20 years, we'll cross over into the metaverse, the moment in time where digital matters more than physical. Our attention used to be 99% of our, our attention was in our physical environment, but then TVs came, computers got introduced to our life, phones, and now our attention has really been sucked from physical to digital, and we really maybe only spend 50% of our time and attention in the physical world. And where our attention goes, Sean says, our energy flows. So if 50% of our attention is on our digital screen, then 50% of our energy will go to our digital life. And I thought this was really just a fresh take on the metaverse. He's not talking about it in the terms of digital land and real estate or gaming environments or a ready player me kind of virtual reality utopian world. We're still experimenting with what the metaverse can and will be and thinking about it more as so where our energy is spent, digital versus physical, to me was really insightful. Lesson 11. The gaming industry is poised for disruption by NFTs. This is from episode 126 with Kara Wu. Third-party trading for in-game assets using real money has existed as long as the gaming industry has been around. Even today, you can still buy RuneScape Gold on eBay. Back in 2009 in Venezuela, people were using RuneScape Gold instead of the local currency because of how volatile the boulevard was. And it's not unrealistic to imagine a world where we spend real fiat on digital collectibles or currencies because we already do. The principles of ownership and composability are what makes the technology and industry a great match. History has shown us how open collaboration leads to innovation. And Kara gave a really interesting example on looking back at history. Venice, the city, became a central point for cultures to be combined, remixed, and explored, which led to an explosion in product and innovation and creation. And this led to more refined products and made Venice a trading hub. So just like Venice, in Web3, people come from all backgrounds. Anyone can collaborate by building on top of smart contracts. And composability makes the design space for developers richer. And when we look at internet technology, some of the greatest software innovations of all time came from the MIT license, which is this open, permission-free software license. One of them is jQuery, and it's used in 75.9% of websites. So the definition of composability from Kara on the podcast was really great. Can someone extend the work someone else has done? Composability allows for developers to extend the utility of a game, a game asset, to an infinite amount of use cases. And the limit is defined by asset demand and developer creativity. We'll see the best games built on top of the foundation of previous builders. And that is fascinating. Lesson 12, NFTs and washing machines have a lot in common. This is from episode 131 with Arthur Kamara. NFTs and washing machines have a lot more in common than you think. 
The killer app for electricity was the light bulb. Homes were even built with sockets in the ceiling just for them. But then appliances came about, and their user experience was terrible. So let's talk about washing machines as an appliance example. The first ones were bulky, dangerous, they spilled water, they had to be kept outside. And to start them, you needed to unscrew your light bulb and screw in the washing machine cord. Switches hadn't even been invented yet. The washing machine had bad user experience and so many problems, and people could have criticized the washing machine and said they're bad, they're not useful. But instead, we recognized their value and identified the problems that needed solving. Outlets were built, on and off switches were added, and the appliance industry had flourished. And I think NFTs are at the same point in the innovation cycle as washing machines were in the 1900s, like 1908. There's a lot of problems, but if we're here for the long term, then those problems are something that we can solve. User experience is clunky, safety needs to be improved, onboarding people should be simple, and there's so much to be built, but just like washing machines, NFTs can be an integral part of our life, and these problems can be solved over time. Lesson number 13, blockchains are cities. This comes from episode 136 with Haseeb Qureshi. Major cities in the U.S. are known for different characteristics, things to do, use cases, career types, and blockchains are no different. Solana is L.A., Ethereum is New York City, Near is San Francisco, and Avalanche is Chicago. If you imagine each blockchain as a different city, the biggest thing that's missing is a highway system connecting them. So when looking at Ethereum, you know, it's Manhattan, New York City is old, it's expensive and congested, and everyone complains about it but it's the place to be in America. Ethereum is slow, has high gas fees, but it's where the best NFTs are. The biggest DeFi protocols and NFT projects are on Ethereum. And these cities or blockchains were just founded. We're discovering what their identities are. We'll live in a multi-chain world. Just like the question of which server your internet app is on has been completely abstracted from the user, eventually this will also be true for blockchains. The end game is operating on the blockchain without knowing which one we're on. Lesson 14, identity is crypto's biggest problem. This comes from episode 136 with Haseeb Qureshi. When you interact on chain, you're an address. But an address provides very low dimensional data. Many applications are gated on having some form of identity, like credit. It's impossible to have credit without having identity. Like if you don't repay your loan, who's going to be responsible for that? So most of the world operates on credit from car rentals, college loans, home ownership. For DeFi to be competitive with CeFi, we need to establish systems of credit. For on-chain credit to exist, on-chain identity is necessary. Lesson 15, NFTs will have a greater impact on society than the printing press. This is from episode 139 with Josh Rosenthal. The printing press is regarded as the most important innovation of the second millennium. I interviewed PhD historian Josh Rosenthal, and he believes NFTs are even more important than that. Renaissance means rebirth. The rebirth was focused around three pillars. I'm going to walk you through them. Identity, your view of self was static value, 
power was concentrated in the hands of few, and communication. Information was held in physical documents that required permission to access. Now, we're going through a crypto renaissance, and pillars of society are shifting again. So identity, your view of self is now fluid and your digital self matters. Value, access to power is open via these internet networks to creators. Communication, information lives on-chain with verifiable sources and owners. Josh goes as far as even comparing the internet to modern-day indentured servitude. Indentured farmers had no freedom to move outside the network they served. The internet operates in the same way. We don't own our data. We're locked into platforms. And masters, like the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons of the world, they control our feed. Crypto is changing this, though. Crypto is following the same patterns as Renaissance movements of the past. We've lowered the bar to create from monks writing manuscripts to the printing press, to self-hosting websites, social media, to now we have user-owned smart contracts. And this is the beginning of the crypto renaissance. And NFTs are going to further open up global communication while adding value, ownership, and identity to what we create and share. Lesson 16, owning your digital identity is a paradigm shift. This is from episode 141 with Scott Commoners. Ownership means your identity is portable. It moves around with you. It's persistent. It doesn't go away. It's linked to reputation. It's not just, I am Josh. Now we can answer, who is Josh? So much of our Web2 online activity is our identity. Posting photos to Instagram, updating resumes on LinkedIn, we're creating these receptacles of identity, but they live online within the frame they're within. They're siloed, and we can't control them. When you own your digital identity, you take it with you to any new valuable platform. This increases competition amongst platforms, so users need to want to use it now versus locking users in through network effects and algorithms. Persistent identity. With persistent identity, Web3 is not ephemeral. It will last as long as the blockchain exists. Each piece of content you post online could be permanently linked to you unless you choose to delete it. The permanence encourages long-term thinking around your online reputation and how you thoughtfully engage and create digital content. With reputation-based identity, we now have one true source for your full self online, and the possibilities are endless for how you can associate your identity to your reputation. We can now group together everything from likes, credit, reviews, fandom, streams, diplomas, followers, comments, certifications. That's just a few of them. Lesson 17, Problems in Web3. This is from episode 146 with Derek Walkush. Crypto has its problems too, and I learned a lot of them on the podcast. Two major problems in crypto are scalability, most think about transactions per second when it comes to this, and usability. Are these new products in- intuitive? Scalability saw massive improvements in the last year. We now have Polygon Zero Knowledge EVM on the horizon, Alt-L1s and Rollup L2s, and there's a clear path to faster transactions. With usability, there's a lot that needs to be solved for, and it has not progressed as much this year. It still feels like we're using crypto, and there are user experience improvements across the board that need to be addressed, mainly with wallets.
Lesson 18. What is a security? This is from episode 151 with Mark Boyron. I always heard about securities in crypto, but I never really knew what one was. A security can be stocks, bonds, an investment contract, but what is an investment contract? So it's something that exists anytime there's a transaction, contract, or scheme where there is investment of money into a common enterprise, where there is an expectation of profit from the efforts of others. So the second you're a security, you're limited in how you can sell it because the exchange needs to be registered as well, like the NASDAQ. And so this poses a problem in Web3 because Coinbase, OpenSea, Magic Eden, all the decentralized exchanges and applications, none of these are registered. So assets can get listed on those exchanges within minutes versus the years it takes to get listed on registered exchanges. Securities slow down the speed of transacting, which would be a big blow to the innovation in Web3. And the biggest blocker right now is the SEC. They've really refused any registration for crypto trading. Lesson 19, the potential for NFT domains. This is from episode 152 with Andrew Rosener. I spoke with Andrew, who's a Web2 domain investor, about the potential for Web3 domains. Traditional Web2 domains are for businesses, but Web3 domains are for businesses and people, and the market is so much wider here. This yields a market that is way bigger than the current domain industry, and if you believe every internet user will be a crypto user, then you will also need to own your Web3 domain. So let's talk about Web3 domain utility. Well, first, for Web2, it brings brand awareness and access to information. For Web3, they provide digital ownership, digital identity, data ownership, crypto payments, and an NFT domain is about so much more than sending and receiving money. The utilities are just starting to stack up. Lesson number 20, most NFTs will be free. This is from episode 154 with Adam Levy. Free NFTs are the ultimate Web3 creator strategy. It's more powerful to give than to take. Free NFTs can be thought of as a top-level funnel, and from there you can provide more utility and have a group of people to build deeper relationships with. Free NFTs can be given to fans. Content can be made free and collectible. Event registration RSVPs can be free. You know, there's so many options here. Free NFTs will be used to grow collector bases, and from there, creators can figure out paid promotions further down the funnel. Ultimately, Web2 has to be used with Web3. So for Web2, you can think of it about getting your messaging out. And then for Web3, it's how do we capture value from that audience that we're able to reach. Web2 helps build your audience and Web3 allows you to build interesting crypto experiences for them. Lesson 21, the power of collection. This is from episode 161 with Jad Esper. Jad said it best, from shelf to self. He used this analogy comparing NFT collection to what we store in the shelves in our homes. The things we store on our shelves say a lot about us. They represent memories, they display certifications. The things that we accumulate and collect speak to who we are and how we want those closest to us to perceive us. They're intentional decisions. 
We just talked through this entire podcast episode on the many ways NFTs are going to change our lives and how they're going to innovate X, Y, and Z. But at its core, we're collecting things, just like we do in real life. But now it feels new and novel. When I think about from shelf to self, it reframes it for me, and it all becomes simpler. It's an obvious evolution to what we're already doing. Some things we collect on our shelves will be free. Some will be gifts. Some of these will be expensive things. Some will hold forever, and some will just keep until the next time we do spring cleaning. Some of these items on our shelves will use and put back. Some of them will save for a special occasion. So when people ask me, why NFTs? I'll remind them that we've been collecting things on our shelves for years, and this is no different. Lesson 22, the power of a conversation. This lesson doesn't come from any podcast episode, but really just comes from my year of podcasting and reflecting about all the conversations I've had with really interesting and insightful people in the industry. For an entire year, I talked with entrepreneurs, creators, and investors about the role NFTs will have in our future. There isn't a single industry that won't be affected by the changes in ownership, identity, access, community, and all the other concepts we discussed in the pod that NFTs empower. Whenever there's a new technology, it takes time for us to understand how we'll use it and why it's valuable. A lot of people are quick to write off crypto. Its failures have been public and brazen. Yet people keep trying to find ways for the tech to impact lives and are determined to build, including us at Unstoppable Domains. What I've found over the year in my 40-plus podcast interviews has been that conversations have allowed me to expand my thinking and understanding of where this is all going. It takes time to talk this all out and courage to believe in a future that's different than the present we live in. It takes creativity and curiosity to explore all the different possibilities that the next version of the internet will hold. So I applaud you for being here, for listening and taking these conversations with you. These are my 22 lessons from the Unstoppable podcast in 2022, and I'm so excited for everything that Web3 has to bring and is going to teach me in 2023. Thanks for listening to this podcast. My name's Josh Gordon. I'm your host. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.